of the path to meaning. What are the different thoughts? What are the different paths that people take and the different things that we hang our our thoughts on and our hopes on as we deal with life? I think it's going to be interesting and helpful because it's based on a book that's interesting and helpful. It's based on the book of Ecclesiastes from the Old Testament. And that book was written by a very um, powerful, wealthy, ancient king named Solomon who was on a search to discover wisdom and the meaning of life uh, near the end of his. It was near the end of his life, so he's looking back. And he's, he looks at all the ways that he tested out, tried to find meaning, and he's giving his thoughts. And as you read the book, what happens is you sort of get, you can kind of get embarrassed for for him because it feels like you're reading his journal, his personal diary. And so you read it and you look around and you say, is this, is this the Bible? I mean, what's going on here? He's he's bearing his soul. And so you read it and you, you sort of wonder, what, where is this going? What is What is happening here? And as you read the text and if you engage with it, what happens is you can identify with at least some of his deepest and darkest thoughts because you've had the same ones. You, you've been on the same path. And these kinds of books are in Scripture. They're in the Bible because God wants to get to our hearts. He wants to bring our heart along on the journey for understanding him and what life's all about. And so that's what happens when you get into this book. It's it, it it does something. If you don't just read it and gloss over it, it really does something. And it, it connects with you because you've asked some of the same questions. Well, today we're going to explore the limits of knowledge. That's what Solomon's doing in the passage we're looking at today. It doesn't take a scholar to understand or much imagination to see his frustration in this passage. Walk with me through it. Ecclesiastes 1, 12 through 18. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to read and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. So he's trying to get his mind and his hands around everything that's going on. It's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's in a bad place, okay? He's he's struggling. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. You might as well be chasing wind, trying to catch it. What, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. You, you can tell he's extremely frustrated. And he can't make life go the way he wants it to go. It's, it's crooked. He can't straighten it out. What's going on? I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, and he had. God had gifted him with wisdom surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Now, here's a man with unlimited resources, unlimited power, um, a high level of intellectual ability, a super dose of wisdom from God, and he's frustrated to the max that he cannot figure out all there is to know about life. He, he's frustrated. He can't, he can't get it. And 
the word he used, I love the word vexed. Don't you love that word vexed? It's, it's a great word for what he's going through here. He's frustrated. He's annoyed. That's what it means, literally, to be extremely frustrated and annoyed. It's a scary word. It sounds like a weapon. You know, I don't want anybody to vex me. And I don't, because sometimes they do. And sometimes you probably vex people around you, but he's vexed. And we don't want it. We don't like this, because it means you're frustrated, annoyed. You can't understand what's going on. He has questions, problems. Issues that he cannot get his mind around. And he's given it a gigantic effort. That's the problem. I mean, he's really given it all he's got. And his conclusion is this. It's in that last verse there. The more knowledge you gain, the more vexed you get. Now, that's hopeful, isn't it? (laughs) In some areas, the more understanding you gain, the more frustration you are possibly going to experience and that that's what solomon's doing here now here's the question for the day how do we deal with this what where do we turn when we get vexed like this one scholar i read uh, made this comment as he was writing about uh this this vexing that goes on as we're discovering more about creation the way god governs the world world um, and, and as that begins to impact us this way, he said, every discovery serving to convince us that more remains concealed of which we had no suspicion before. You ever been there trying to figure something out? And you're like, oh, I wish I didn't know that. I mean, now I know, and oh, no. You know, there, there's all kinds of other possibilities that could go wrong or that could be reality or whatever you you just you just get vexed this is how it goes you learn more and you find out there are more concerns that you hadn't even considered solomon is testing out the the hypothesis here there's an answer to every problem that's what he's that's what he's testing out because it seems like there should be if you're educated it certainly does i mean in first grade there are problems, you get problems, you get things you're working on, and you get the answers. Then you go to second grade. And we, we're tempted to just think, all right, God, I'm in whatever grade I'm in now, and I just want to get past this one so I can understand what I'm dealing with right now. He's been asking questions, and he's been trying to solve his problems, and he's extremely unsatisfied with the answers. He's given up on the ability to find all the answers. Now, in our day, we, we have access to more information than we ever have in the past. I mean, you're watching a baseball game or a football game, and you're like, is that? Yesterday I was watching a football game. Is that Billy Sims' kid? Because there was a player, B. Sims. I, you know, is that, I Googled it. I could find out right there in the past. Believe me, I lived in an era when... You just didn't know, you know, if the announcers didn't clue you in, you just didn't know. I was working on a plumbing problem the other day, and I'm trying to fix our toilet, and there's this bolt that's stripped and rusted, and, oh, Google it. Found a YouTube video, saved me about eight hours. Okay, I mean, it was right there. I had the information right on my fingertips. It was awesome, you know, just... I had to borrow a tool, but that, boom, 
I mean, literally 10 seconds, it was solved. We, we have a tremendous amount of information available to us today. But at the same time, we still run into problems that there aren't answers for, that we're not sure of, that we're uncertain because of what's going on in our lives. Health issues are like that. Uh, had a granddaughter born about three months ago, and she was born, and her oxygen level was low. So I'm in the waiting room Googling, and it could be, that's, that's when you don't want to know, okay? You've, there are all kinds of possibilities that you hadn't considered or that you were afraid that were there, and then you find out, but you don't know the answer. You don't know what, what's going to happen next. You just don't know. Relational struggles are like that. There's no formula that can fix them because two people are involved and God gives both people in the relationship the ability to choose whether or not they're going to reconcile. There's just nowhere to go to resolve it automatically. Finance. You know, you you can understand a great deal about finance, um, but there's always an element of uncertainty when you make an investment, always is. We, we make major decisions. We have major decisions before. They're always a judgment call. We want, we want to know the formula for finding out how to make the best decision. But on, on many decisions that we face, it's a judgment call. We gather as much information as we can, which is right to do. Scripture says, know the fact. Get all the info you can. Get it down. Understand all you can about whatever decision you're making. Still a judgment call. There isn't a clear-cut answer. We have an enormous amount of information, but we're still unable to solve world hunger and arrive at world peace because the issues are way more complex than knowledge can fix. So this is where we're at. This is where Solomon's at. It's important to understand this about life because if you don't understand it, then you get deeply unsettled when you can't arrive at the answers that will fix whatever it is you're dealing with. So we need to know this. So Solomon draws his conclusion. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. In other words, we shouldn't put our hope in the knowledge or wisdom of men, men as in mankind. We don't put our hope there. That's not where where it should lie. What do people do when they hit the wall and can't find the answer to something? We, we typically turn to experts. Expert could be a counselor with the right credentials, an MD who went to the right school, has a lot of experience, maybe a friend who's faced the same problem. Maybe uh, we even pursue an education in order to find the answers ourselves. A lot of people in psychology do that. Uh, a lot of psychology majors are trying to figure themselves out as they work through uh, their education. Knowledge and education can be helpful, and experts are, are, are needed. I mean, if I have a medical problem, I'm going to the doctor. And I want a good one. I want one that knows what's going on. But what do we do when there just flat is still this unknowable and uncertain future? 
that we have to deal with. What do we do when the experts can't solve all the problems? When trouble strikes, one of our knee-jerk reactions is to think, I've got this. I've got it figured out. You know, I, 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 if it's financial turmoil, I'm going to go to Uncle So-and-so who has a degree in finance who'll help me figure this out. It's just the way we think, isn't it? And, and that might be a good move. Medicine is making so much progress. We have a health issue. Medicine is making so much progress, um, surely the doctor can point me in the right direction. But what do you do when the experts don't have the answers? And they don't all, all the time. Or, or how do you respond when you hit the limits of knowledge itself? This is what Solomon is getting at. He's trying to help us figure out how to respond when we hit the wall of knowledge, when we hit the limits of knowledge. It might be that you haven't experienced this yet in anything that matters in your life, but we all do at some point. We hit this, this spot. Our response at that point, when we hit the limit of our knowledge, actually has a major impact on our future. The way we respond when we face uncertainty and the unknowable and the struggle and the difficulty with our problems in this way may shape the way our future goes until the day we die. So this is why it's an important topic. Solomon, his comment was, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Now, I have perfectionist tendencies, I admit. Um, and that's what, what Solomon's getting to here is he says, he, I can't get all my ducks in a row. Just, yeah, driving me crazy. You know, one of the pieces in the puzzle is missing. And I can't count it. And we're going to stop everything until I find that piece. Forget it. Life is not going to go on. But that's, that's what happens. Cricket lines, cricket lines, they can make you crazy. And, and he, so he's struggling with this. If we don't understand that knowledge is limited, then we frantically search for the knowledge and wisdom we need to handle everything that comes up. And we may wallow in guilt or beat our, wallow in guilt, beat ourselves up because we're not smart enough. We may try to, we need to try to be circumspect, actually. Circumspect means you, you think all around. You look at the issue from every facet, from every angle. That's important. We need to do that. But we need to declare, I just can't know what I can't know. We need to admit that. There's a point at which we can't know what we can't know. There just isn't. And then what do we do? Our response leads to futility and bitterness or to productivity, a real productive life, hope and meaning. So at this point, the knowledge of God is vital in the midst of the unknown or the uncertain. In the scripture, the knowledge of God is, is a rich term, uh, and it includes having two things. Number one, the right theology. Now, you might not think of yourself as a theologian. I try not to think of myself as a theologian, but we all actually are theologians. 
we have a theology, which basically means a framework uh, that we use to understand God. We have a frame of mind. We have a frame of reference. We have a viewpoint on who God is, what he's like, how he acts in the world, how he do, what he does, what he doesn't do. We all have a theology. Literally, the word means study of the study of God. But we all have one. And in Scripture, the knowledge of God includes that understanding of who God is, his character traits, his, um, the way he works in the world, his, basically his identity and his ways and his wisdom. That's number one. We need to understand that. Now, number two is the knowledge of God refers to a personal relationship with him, with God. We talk to God. In prayer, and we hear him through the scriptures. So those two things are all wrapped up in the term knowledge of God. It's a mistake to have a to try to have a relationship with God without the right theology, the right understanding of who He is. Because if we do that, what happens is um, we create our own version of God, and you know, you know, a straw. You, we, we create straw men, like we make, make up in our minds this person, you know, that is what we call a straw man. It's not, they're, they're not real. Well, if we're not careful, and if we don't really understand God as he's revealed himself in the Bible, we create a straw God. He doesn't exist. And so as we live life, as we hit the wall of the limits of our knowledge, we can't lean on a straw God. He's not real. He's flimsy. He's fake. He's only a creation of our mind. And so it's, it's very, very important to know what the Scripture says about God. And to, this is a pursuit that goes on and on and on. I'm still learning about God. I've been studying seriously the Bible for a long time, almost 40 years. That's, that's a long time, and I'm still learning about God. It's, it's a pursuit. So we need to have this right understanding of him. Now, on the other hand, focusing solely on right theology and not relating to God at all on a personal level gets very, very dry. You have this lifeless understanding of a distant God who doesn't make any difference in your life. That's, that's no good either. So we need both of those things. If we're not careful, we may know of God, but we don't actually rely on him or know him when we deal with life. So th these two things are needed. The scripture encourages focus on both the right theology and a personal relationship with God. Look at Ephesians 4.13. Now, this is a passage that was written to an early church, and it was written to describe what should be the outcome of the work of the church. And here it is. We should do this until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. There it is, knowledge of the God, of Son of God. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then it goes on. The verse describes two major goals of maturity to aim for. The unity of the faith, that's the theology. The faith here is the basic beliefs about God and church and how he put things together 
The second thing is the knowledge of the Son of God, and that's personally knowing God himself. So both, both those things are there. The, the unity of the faith has to do with the fact that we, we want to grow unified on the essentials of who God is, how he works, what he views as right and wrong, and uh, his role in the world. Part of being mature, as described here, is getting, getting a tight grip on those bottom-line truths of who God is, getting your hands around that. Um, Paul was writing to, in, in this passage to a, a church in Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And uh, he was trying to help them get a tight grip on the bedrock truths that would anchor them when life throws them a curveball, because they were under a great deal of persecution. And they were, that life was not easy because of their faith in Christ. And so he's giving them an anchor to hold on to in the middle of the trouble that they were experiencing. A lot of people were new to their faith, and they were facing difficulties. Now, here's something he wrote to another church in Colossae, which is in southwest, the southwest corner of modern Turkey. So he wrote this to them. This is what he said. This is his prayer. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And here's what he's been praying. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual understanding and wisdom. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing. There it is again in the knowledge of God. This is very important. To keep growing in the knowledge of God. It's something when you decide to follow Christ, you're to keep growing in until the day you die. And there's plenty to understand. There's plenty to work on. So there it is again. We're to be filled with the knowledge of his will, which comes from, you understand what God wants by getting into the Bible. And we're to be filled, uh, or we're to keep increasing in the knowledge of God, recognizing God for who he is in the midst of what's going on in my circumstances right here. Now, why is the knowledge of God so important? The reason is, when we don't have all the answers, we find strength in God who does. This is, his, this is, this is where we turn. There's nowhere else to turn. When we don't have an explanation for the trouble we're experiencing, and we deal with a great deal of uncertainty in life, it's like we're looking through a foggy window. And you ever drive with a foggy window? It's kind of scary. Because you can see some of what's going on. You can't see how you can't see very clearly what you can't see. You know, the lights look different. It's just not, it's just not clear. You can't see everything. The Bible describes this in 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Now, a common phrase is, when somebody's going through trouble and they can't figure out what's going on, common phrase, I know you've heard it, well, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, but what's the reason? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I appreciate that. I, I, thanks for the thought, but what is the reason? And in general terms, there are answers for why life is the way it is. You can find them in Scripture. It's the most solid explanation of why we experience evil and suffering and 
why trouble exists in the world. And it's important to know the general answers because they help you as you deal with the specific problems and the situations and circumstances where you, you can't figure out the reason. I, I, I'd love to know. And there are situations and circumstances that we deal with that we aren't going to know the reason for this side of heaven. If it still matters to us when we get to heaven, I'm sure God will clue us in. may not matter. It can be so fantastic that everything goes away. Well, that was okay then. I'll just let it go. It doesn't matter anymore. But the question of the day is, what do we do when we face uncertainty like this? And we can't find explanations. We can't know the reason for this very thing. We do one of two things. We turn toward God or we turn away from him in bitterness. And these events become like major intersections in our life where we choose to go one way or the other. You find it's not important in these moments what you know so much, but who knows you. That's what Paul's saying. I like how the message paraphrase puts that verse I just read. We don't, know, we don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist, but it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We sh- we s- we'll see it all then. See it as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. I love that. That's our hope. Our hope is in him. That's, that's what it means to follow God. If you're trying to figure out what it means to follow him, what it means is when you hit your own limits, you trust him. You, you walk through it with him. Not, not having all the answers during this lifetime on this side of heaven is to be expected. It's just we're just not going to be able to have them all. We shouldn't demand either an explanation from God. Because this, this is the way he has decided to, to work things out. He isn't obligated to give, give us one. Sometimes we get too big for our britches and we think God should tell us what's going on and why. Uh, not, not so much. He's God. And so we need to learn to trust him in these moments. We're just squinting through the fog at times, peering through a mist. And God wants to use the uncertainty and the unknowability to draw us into a relationship with him. If we know God and if we walk with him and follow him, when we enter eternity, the fog's going to be lifted. But until then, we're in it. Things are, that are unclear and don't make sense here will make sense then. Over time, we may get explanations for some of the reasons something happened. I know I, uh, at my age, I look back and I think, Thank you, God, for that disappointment right there. I really appreciate that. You know, sometimes we get, but not all of it. We're not going to have all the explanations. When I first started to minister to people, you know, I I thought, you know, from an early age, I felt like God wanted me to do what I'm doing, pastoring a church. And um, so I went to college, went to graduate school, got prepared. And when I first began to pastor, try to start the church here, I felt the pressure to be life's answer man. 
You know, that's a lot of pressure. Okay, somebody's going through something, and i got to come up with why, or i got to come up with the answer. Man, that is difficult. And I, and I couldn't pull it off. What I've realized is that I'm limited on the answers. I can point them to the one who has the answers. I can walk through a difficult time with, with people. But I, I myself don't have the answers. It's, I'm limited. And wow, how, how much I've relaxed since having to come up with all the answers. That's really, talk about, you know, chilling out. That really helps. And at the same time, it provides a lot of strength and comfort to realize that I don't have the answers. I'm not going to get all the answers for my problems. You're not either. But boy, God, giving you, he'll give you enough of the answers to help you trust him. There's enough of, of him that we can know, that we can lean on, that we can trust in, that we can anchor our lives to, that will help us to find the strength to move forward in life and do what he wants. It gives you the frame of mind. Understanding this gives you a frame of mind to handle what's going on in life in faith. We can just trust God with the rest. Would you pray with me as we wrap up the message today? Father, we thank you for your kindness and goodness to us. I I praise you for being the one who has the answers and for not just leaving us on our own, but for connecting with us, Lord. And in Jesus Christ, you have come to the place where uh, you, you can meet us. You understand, Lord Jesus, you, you live the life we live. You, you felt the same temptations that we feel. Of course, you were perfect, but yet you can understand what we're going through. And I, pra- I praise you for that, and I thank you. And I ask God that as we as we hit the limits of our knowledge, that we all might learn to trust you and put our life in your hands as you lead us. We ask for your help in this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.